0: Number 14. We just preached on this passage a few weeks ago on Sunday, so we're not going to be preaching on the passage so much, but I do want to uh, use it to kind of get things started this evening. And uh, I've had a number of people ask me here recently a number of things uh, regarding um, the days that we're living in. We've mentioned so many times that uh, I believe that we're living in the end times. I believe we're living, living in the last days. And um, when I say that, a lot of times people don't understand what we mean by that. Or uh, I've had people ask me, well, Brother Greg, you know, what, what's going to happen? You know, we're, we're, do we think we're going to be here? Do we think we're going to be there during this time? And <coughs> so I want to take just a few minutes tonight. We are certainly not going to exhaust this topic. Um, when you start talking about upcoming events and prophetic events in Scripture, uh, you can spend weeks upon weeks and months upon months studying it. So tonight is not going to be an exhaustive study, but a way to give us just kind of a high-level overview of uh, what, what is taking place and what we can expect uh, in the future. And um, the Bible is—it um, starts off in the beginning, and actually if you were to take the Bible chronologically, you would start with John chapter number 1 and verse number 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so when all things began that we know about, the beginning of things, God already was. It doesn't say that He, he became at that point. It says in the beginning was the Word. He was already in existence. He's in eternity. He doesn't, he's not bound by time. Somebody said, where did God come from? Uh, he didn't come from anywhere. He's always been, and He always will be. And uh, we think in terms of time, I heard somebody say the reason for time is so that everything doesn't run together at the same time we can stretch it out over time. And so when God created us, He created time. He created us in time. And it's difficult because that's all we know. It's difficult for us to comprehend and understand eternity where there is no time. Uh, it's just everything is just now. Everything is there and it's just present. And uh, so the Bible tells us in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word. In, in Genesis chapter number 1, it tells us that when the beginning started, it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And I want to just mention this, that uh, we are living in a day, Jonathan and I were talking the other day about this in, in uh, our public school systems, it's taught as a fact, and that is the theory of evolution. Uh, can I tell you this, that the theory of evolution was not even thought about or taught in any, any way, shape, or form until uh, the 1800s, really, to speak of. There were a few people that had uh, theorized and come up with some things, but the reason they did that was because they denied the biblical account of creation. They didn't want to uh, believe that there was a God that had that kind of uh, ability to step out on nothing and create everything. Uh, we believe the Bible to be true. So since we believe that, we believe the biblical account of creation. I don't think the world is millions of years old. I think it's, it's a few thousand years old at best. And uh, I've had some people uh, ask me, say, well... Uh, If it's only a few thousand years old and you've got these stars that we can see that are billions of light years away, then how are we seeing their light if it's not billions of years old? Well, it's an easy answer uh, to answer. Uh, The Bible says in the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth. And on day one, God said, let there be what? Light. He didn't say let there be stars. He created the light. And uh, when He created Adam and Eve, did He create them as an infant? No, He created them full-grown, mature, already in place. When He created the garden, the vegetables, the plants, life, the the animals, they weren't little things. They were already matured and ready for existence. And why would we think if God did that in every other point of creation that He wouldn't do that with light as well? He puts it in place, and it's there. Then He lets the the stars and the moon control the light uh, once it's there. And so that's an easy enough thing to explain. There's so many problems with the theory of evolution. I'm not going to spend the night on dealing with refuting evolution. Other than to say this, we believe the Bible account, and because we believe the Bible account, we believe that the Bible or that the Earth is only only a few thousand years old. From the time of Adam, and you ever read through the Old Testament, and you get to um, you get to the genealogies, the exciting part of Scripture. The part that we look forward to. So and so begat so and so, and he lived 120 years, and so and so begat so-and-so, and died, and then so and so begat so and so. And when he was 30 years old, he begat so and so. And it's like hours and hours and hours of redundantly reading through all these genealogies. And, think, and they, have, they don't they don't pick normal names. Have you ever noticed that? They pick names that are a mile long and hard to hard to pronounce and read. You ever wonder why God put that in Scripture? He did it so that we would have a timeline. From Adam, we can trace exactly the lineage. You know, he doesn't put everybody in there, but he puts the key characters in there that overlap each other. Sometimes there's two or three generations that are there. But understand, before the flood, people were living to be eight, 900 years old. You could be a great, 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 great grandfather and still see your grandchild back then. And uh, so they, they pick the key characters. And they overlapped them enough that they could say, okay, from this point to this point was so many years. And then this fellow lived. And then from this point to this point, this fellow lived. And they'll do that until there's a historical event. And then they'll say, okay, then this event happened. Why did God do all that? So we would know how much time happened between this event and this event. And so from the time of Adam until the time of the worldwide flood, um, it was about 1,650 years-ish. Okay, I'm going to give you some round numbers. About 1,650 years. Let's call it 1,700 just for sake of very round numbers tonight, okay? Uh, there was about that many years from the time of Adam being kicked out of the Garden of Eden until the time of the Flood. And then from the time of the Flood until the time of, uh, the time of Christ was about 2,300 years So you could say roughly, if you were to take from the time of Adam until the time of Christ coming on the scene, about 4,000 years. Now, some people say, well, there were different calendars back then. only had 360 days or 342 days, or there's several different calendars that were used. And that's why we say about. We can't be down to the day, I don't think, on it. But we can be really, really close. And so we have about that much time. By the way, there are so many things that even 50 or 70 years ago... Uh, the people assumed the world was young because of Scripture. And uh, they were right. In fact, it was interesting, uh, the very first time that um, NASA sent people to the moon and they put a lander on the moon, if you remember seeing the pictures of the lunar lander, they had these huge, huge pads on the bottom of the feet. You remember those? They were like, I don't know, five or six feet across. They were pretty big. The reason they did that was they knew the silt on the moon Accumulated at a particular rate. They could measure it with telescopes and other data. And they figured that if the moon was billions of years old, there could be uh, a lot of feet of this silt. But when they landed, they found out there was only enough silt for about 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years maybe. Um, Niagara Falls erodes three feet of solid granite rock every year. If you, if you were billions of years old, uh, Niagara Falls would have gone around the world several times by now. Uh, the, the, the sun loses diameter every year. It consumes itself. And uh, it does that at a particular rate, a given rate. Uh, by the way, global warming, I don't think we have to worry about. With the sun shrinking, it'll give it time. It'll finally start cooling off again. I don't think global warming is the, our biggest concern right now. Um, and so, if you, again, if you take the amount of years, the sun would still be a decent size if the earth could still survive during those, those years. Uh, especially that first 1,600 years or so. and uh, But if you go into thousands of years, the sun would have been so big, the earth would have burned up and couldn't have sustained life. And so there's so many things that refute evolution, and yet it's taught in our schools uh, to help. Uh, and, we're, and we're indoctrinating, really we're indoctrinating a group of young people, now several generations. Now we've got people that have been raised on this indoctrination that are in our schools, and they're teaching this again, and they're kind of reiterating it. And passing on to other generations, and it has caused us to lose our moral-centered compass of the fact that there is a God, and because there is a God, there is a moral law that we need to follow, and we're losing that because we deny God's existence. So, we find from the time of Adam till the time of Christ about four thousand years. We know from the time of Christ, we we use the Julian calendar now, um, and we use AD, uh, which is Latin for anodemonium, whatever that Latin word is, and roughly translate it means in the year of our Lord. Isn't it amazing that even the world uses a calendar that refers to the fact that Jesus Christ was Lord, that He was the Son of God? We we talk about a calendar as before Christ and after Christ or in the year of our Lord. And so we've been 2,021 years, uh, roughly, a little more than that or a little less than that, Um, Since the time of Christ So you take all that together We had about 4,000 years before We've had about 2,021 years after That puts us at about 6,000 years or so Uh, And that brings us to present day Now there's two things that we've talked about here in recent days That, uh, you know, I thought about titling tonight's lesson on what's the big deal And uh, we talk about sharing the gospel and the urgency of telling people that they need to be saved. They need to trust Christ as their Savior. He came to to save them from the condemnation. Why is that so important? Why do we feel that that is so urgent? The reason for that is because we believe that we're going to be leaving this world pretty soon. One of two ways. The first way is by death. Life is certainly not certain. Uh, We all know people in our life that we've known, uh, that we've heard about, that uh, died unexpectedly and suddenly. Uh, either in accidents or having some kind of a massive uh, health issue that would cause them to to die. And uh, so we all know that life is short. We don't have a guarantee of another day. We don't have a guarantee of another breath. That's one of the urgencies. But the other urgency is this. As Christians, we also believe that the Bible teaches not only did God create the world, not only have we been here about 6,000 years, but we believe that the Bible also teaches that Christ is coming again. That there's going to come a time when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and He's going to gather those that are saved, that have put their faith and trust in Him, and take them up to be with Him in the air. And we believe the Bible teaches that. And you say, Brother Greg, where where do we see that in Scripture? We call it the rapture. And if you go and try to find the word rapture in the Bible, you won't find it. It's not in there. But there certainly is the teaching of that thought in Scripture. And so we're going to take a minute to look at that. Let's take John chapter number 14, if you're already there. There are three, there are four Gospels. All of them talk about the, the life of Christ, His uh, crucifixion, His burial, and His resurrection. And they talk about His ascension uh, when He went back up into heaven. Uh, all of them allude, or most all of them, I think, allude to the fact that there was a commission given by Christ. And uh, a couple of them talk about the fact that the angel said, Uh, As you've seen him go, you're going to see him come again in like manner. John is the only one that puts this particular discourse that Christ gives, this particular narrative that Christ gives, he's the only one that records this. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that just because the other Gospels don't say it, it didn't happen. This is additional information in this Gospel that uh, is making things a little more clear. And so we get to John chapter number 14, and Jesus says this, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, notice He says this. I go to prepare a place for you. So He tells His disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going to go. That is not a new teaching. Christ is, It is for that day. But Christ has told the disciples at this point uh, a couple times, and He will continue to tell them a couple more times, in different wordings, Uh, He talks about um, the bridegroom leaving. And he talks about the comforter coming, but the comforter can't come as long as he's here. And so he's got to go so the comforter can come. There's numbers of ways that he uh, teaches his disciples that I'm getting ready to leave. I'm not going to be with you always. This is one of those. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice this. You ought to underline this. I will come again. Now, if He says, I will come again, what is the reason He's coming again for? Well, He tells us. He says, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. What does that sound like? Sounds like He's going to come and get us and take us home, doesn't it? It doesn't mean I'm going to die by death, necessarily. I could die by the time that Christ is coming. We call it the rapture. That's the term we use. But the time that Christ is going to come and rapture us, and we're going to go up into the air and be with Him. He says, um, "I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." That that tells us that he's coming to get us to spend eternity with him. And and he tells Thomas, he says, "Whither I go, you know," or he tells the disciples, "Whither I go, you know, and the way, you know." And Thomas is the one who says, uh, uh, "Saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way?" And this is where Jesus says, "I am the way." the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I was listening to uh, a, um, a question and answer time with a, a pastor that was answering questions for uh, a group of people uh, that were not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had done a lecture and a meeting on them uh, with them uh, about the things of the Lord. And uh, one of the questions that was asked of him uh, was, do you believe that... Um, these other religions that are out here, these Buddhists and these Hindus, they're very sincere people. They really believe what they they, they hold to. Um, they, they have faith in their religion. And the fellow asked him, he said, do you believe that they will not go to heaven and that they will die and go to hell in, in their religion, knowing that they are very sincere, they're very faithful, they're very zealous and ardent and and passionate in their beliefs, don't you think God would give them credit for that, was basically what he was saying. And um, the preacher answered correctly, and I was very, very pleased to hear him answer correctly. He said, according to the Bible, they will die and go to hell. He said, Brother Greg, that's harsh to say. But the Bible teaches us that narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. When Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," He doesn't leave room for any other way. There, there is no other way, and uh, so we're not we're not arrogant about it. We just believe what the Bible says. If it if it said there are many ways to Christ, I would believe that too, but because it's the Bible, but the Bible doesn't say that. It says there's only one way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So John makes this point. He says, "Look." Uh, I want to put this narrative in here. Jesus said it. He said, if I go, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. There's going to come a time. Now, take your Bibles, if you will. Turn over to uh, 1 Thessalonians. Back a few uh, chapters, several books here uh, towards the back of your Bible. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. Now, there are many, many verses of Scripture that refer to uh, this time period, the day of the Lord Uh, sometimes is used as a term that encompasses a lot of the end-time events. Uh, We do know that there is another coming that's later on, where Christ comes and comes on the earth, physically and and touches on the earth, and is here for a thousand years and rules and reigns here. This is not that time period, okay? So we're going to try to give you a chronological time series of events of things that will happen here, what we believe the Bible teaches. In 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4, And we'll begin reading in verse number 13. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, he uses this term that are asleep to reference those that have died of physical death. The reason he does this is because as Christians, we don't believe they're dead. Their body is in the ground, but they're alive. The Bible says now that Christ has died, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, we, don't, we don't go to sleep and, and lay in the grave in, in some limbo land until the time of Christ. When we die now, we go to be immediately with the Lord. And so uh, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. The church at Thessalonica was wondering about some of this. They'd heard about the return of Christ. And uh, so he says this, uh, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. This is why as a Christian, when somebody dies that we love and care about, yes, we shed tears because we love them and we're going to miss them. But inside there's a joy because we know we're going to see them again. And, and we don't sorrow. We do sorrow, but we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. We sorrow as Christians who believe that one day we're going to be reunited again. I'd say there's a great comfort in that, isn't there? I love that. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so them also, which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with Him. That means they're with Him now. If He's going to bring them with Him, he, they're there already. Okay, so don't let anybody tell you that when they die, they go in the grave, and they're just there, and they're just non-existent. They're with Christ now. If They've trusted Him as their Savior. They're in Christ. Verse 15, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. So this isn't uh, just Paul coming up with something he thinks. He says, this is God's word. This is what God has said. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That just means we're not going to be done we're not going to go before they do. For the Lord himself shall descend, notice this, from heaven, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Notice this phrase, in the what? In the clouds. This is not the time that Christ comes and puts His feet back on the earth again. This is the time that Christ comes and meets us in the air. And He calls us up to meet Him. I'm looking forward to that time. There's going to be a shout, the Bible says. I'm looking forward for the shout. There's going to be a trumpet there. There's going to be the voice of the archangel there. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, And we're going to go to heaven one of two ways if we trust in Christ our Savior. We're either going to go through death or we're going to go through the rapture. We're going to go through this gathering of Christ, the church, taking the church out of this place. And uh, then he says in verse number 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We won't ever be back in this body again. We won't have to come back to this old corrupt earth. Wherefore, he says comfort one another with these words so there's there's a drawing out now there's three there's three things that people think uh, about this rapture and I want to try to shed some light on it uh, some people believe that there's uh, there is the uh, book of Revelation that's given to us at the very end of the Bible that talks about a lot of prophetic events there's a lot of symbolisms in there it takes a long time to study it and know it well and understand what Christ is dealing with there. It talks about the fact that in the end time there will come a seven-year time of tribulation such as the world has never seen. Uh, It talks about the rise of an Antichrist. It talks about the rise of a beast. It's going to come and they're going to rule this world. And the world is going to suffer. Unbelievable. This is when God pours out His wrath for the sin of men on those that have not trusted Christ as their Savior. I'm thankful that the Bible teaches that when we trust Christ as our Savior, that we are escaping the wrath of God. You say, are we going to be here during the tribulation period? If there is no other truth in Scripture I am absolutely certain of, it's this one. I'm not going to be here when that tribulation period happens. Because I the Bible tells me that if I've trusted Christ, I've escaped the wrath that God pours out for sin. I don't have to pay for my sin. Christ did. I'm so thankful for that. And uh, I just have to put my faith in Him and trust in Him. So I'm not going to be here. And I've heard some people say, well, how far is it going to get? Are we going to be midway through the tribulation period? And that's the second thought. Some people say, well, we believe that we go through part of the tribulation, but not all of it. No, because if we go through any of it, then we're experiencing the wrath of God on sin, and that doesn't happen according to Scripture. Then you have some people that say, well, it's at the very end of the tribulation period, and that there's seven years that God talks about in Revelation. Uh, and uh, again, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that uh, we're, we're gone before that time period. So if you take the opportunity to read Revelation one of these days, you'll find that the first three chapters are seven letters that are written to seven churches. He's talking to the churches... And then John is called up in chapters 4 and 5. John is called up, and we never hear about the church again in Revelation. It's not there. During the time of tribulation, you do not hear of the church being on the earth. Where are we at? We're already up in heaven. Why? Because this little event that took place that Paul told about in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 has already happened by then. On the prophetic line of things... Uh, throughout Scripture. One of the things that I think is wonderful, uh, I believe the Bible is God's Word, and I believe it's true. And you know why I believe it primarily? Because it tells me that it is, and God has promised me that He would keep His Word for every generation pure and undefiled. I, I know that. So my primary belief of why this Bible is true is because it says that it is, and because God's told me He would keep His Word pure and keep it for us for every generation. So I believe it's true for that reason enough. That's enough. But there are other times that we can see evidences that the Bible is true. One of them is there are hundreds and even thousands, you would say, perhaps, several thousand prophecies given throughout Scripture. The chances of even one of those prophecies coming specifically true at the exact time, the exact moment, the exact way, is is astronomical, the chances of that the chances of every single one of them coming true exactly the way that they were said and exactly in the time that they said is to the place where we would say it would be impossible. Can I tell you this? That all of those hundreds of prophecies before before our lifetime that were given in Scripture that were supposed to happen before our time, every single one of them have come true. Every single one of them there are a few things left in prophecy that are yet to come. Can you? T- can I tell you this? That with the kind of track record the Bible has on all of these that have been answered absolutely in every case, it causes me to trust all the rest of them. I have no doubt that they're going to happen. There are a few other things in prophecy that are yet to come. We find them in the book of Revelation. One of them is this calling away. One thing that Christ told us was, No man knows the day or the hour. We don't know. Some people say, well, why doesn't God let us know the day and the hour? If we knew the day and the hour, wouldn't we live better getting close to His his coming? Well, sure, but that means we would live the way we want to until the end, and then we would all try to scramble. You know how we are. we were in school, we procrastinated on our homework and our studying and everything. We would do the same thing with our spiritual life. We'd wait until the very end and then try to live the way God would want us to, so we're not embarrassed when He comes back. God wants us to live every day expecting His return. So much so that Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime 2,000 years ago. John thought it was going to happen in his lifetime 2,000 years ago. The apostles thought this. The church thought this. Can I tell you this? We're sitting here 2,000 years later, and the church still thinks this, that He could come in our lifetime. Now, we've seen so many things that have happened in recent days. You can almost turn on the news and open your Bible to Revelation and you almost see them going parallel with each other. That tells me that we are living in the last of the last days. The return of Christ is very, very, very soon. Now, take your Bible. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Let's look down towards the end of the chapter to verse number 51 for sake of time. Paul once again is writing this. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now notice he uses the first person plural pronoun here. We. He includes himself in this. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Paul expected the return of Christ to happen during his lifetime. We are to live with the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ on our minds and on our hearts every day. I'll tell you this, if we would live that way more often, it would change the way we live. You say, what's the big deal? Why, Brother Gregor, are you talking so much about sharing the gospel with people? Why are you putting such a big emphasis... On trying to get out here and tell everybody we know before it's too late. Because the return of the Lord is imminent. We don't have much time. Even if even if He doesn't come in my lifetime, I still don't have much time. My life is short. I had another birthday today. I just had one last week, and here it is again. And some of you that are older than I, you, you just had one yesterday, and it's here again, it seems like. Why? Because time gets short. And then there's some of you that you're getting to the age where you don't even remember the last time you had a birthday. But uh, time is short, isn't it? I expect Christ to come in my lifetime. If I live to be 70, 80 years old, I, I, I really don't think, I, and I've told my kids this, I don't know that, that they'll live to be my age. I think the rapture is going to happen before that. I think the time of Christ is already going to come. So he tells us in verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. I love this. Aren't you glad of this? Incorruptible. You know, from the moment we take our first breath on this earth, we're dying. The old body starts wearing away. We begin to degenerate. We grow. We certainly know that. But the body ages. And uh, we find here that uh, when this takes place, we're going to be changed from a corruptible body to an incorruptible one. That means I get to live forever. Somewhere, I'm glad it's going to be heaven, I get to live forever. And he says, for this corruptible, verse number 53, that's, that's where I am now, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's why a Christian can rejoice at a funeral. That's why with the tears flowing down our faces, because our human hearts miss them in the sentimental thought of not being able to be around them for the next few years. It weighs heavy on our hearts, and we miss them. We grieve dearly for them. But there's rejoicing inside. Why? Because they're already in their incorruptible body and we're getting ready to be in our incorruptible body and we don't ever have to say goodbye again next time we see them. We don't ever have to say goodbye again. You ever thought of that? Never again. He says in in verse number uh, 55, O death, where is thy sting? Death doesn't have a sting anymore, does it? Not for those that are saved. O grave, where is thy victory? It doesn't have victory over us anymore. The sting of death, the sin, the strength of sin is, is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our what? Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved. Therefore, anytime we see the word therefore or wherefore in Scripture, what is getting ready to be said is based on the arguments that have been laid out for it before and then the conclusion is drawn. Because of all this, that the Lord is coming again, That we're going to be transformed. We're going to have an immortal body. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the what? The work of the Lord. What's the big deal about seeing people saved? What's the big deal about telling everybody we can about the Lord Jesus Christ? He's coming again. That's the big deal. And He's coming again. And the Bible says that it's going to be, in verse number 52, in a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, it's going to come like that. The Bible talks about the fact that there's going to be two in the field and one's going to be taken and the other's going to be left. There's going to be two in the bed and one's going to be taken and one's going to be left. It's that sudden. It's that quick. I am thankful. I'm so thankful. Our family has been rejoicing even through the grief. With my cousin's husband passing away, our hearts are heavy. We've shed a lot of tears this last few weeks, the last few days. But we rejoice so much that the few days before he died, he put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll deal with religion. I'll deal with God when my when my life is over. I've done all that I want to do. I'll wait till the very end, and then I'll come to Christ. Can I tell you this? It could be sudden. There may not be a chance. What about that head-on collision that takes a man's life instantly? What about the rapture that could come in a moment in the twinkling of an eye? The Bible calls it coming like a thief in the night. It's not broadcast. It's not not something that we look at and say there's a time where we know it's going to happen. It could happen right now. It could happen before we get out of this place tonight. Say, what's the big deal, Brother Greg? Why Why should we... Uh, tell people about being saved Why are we? Why is that such a big deal Why is it so urgent that they get saved today Because we don't know when he's coming again But we know he's coming And we need to make sure we're ready for it The Bible teaches us that It's going to be a sudden thing It's going to be something that no man knows the day or the hour of I going to quickly give you a couple of arguments Of why it could not be mid-trib or post-trib The reason we're not going to be here before it Number one, the Bible says that we as God's people escape the wrath of God on sin. We don't have to go through the wrath of God pouring His wrath out on sin for us, for our sins. That whole tribulation period is nothing more. It's not God bringing judgment for the sin of a nation. It's God bringing judgment on men for their sin and for their rejection of Him. God says that we'll escape that in Scripture. He tells us that. The other thing is that if it was at the mid or even the end of the tribulation period, the book of Revelation gives very, very precise times from the time that the church is raptured till the middle of the tribulation, the time of the Antichrist being established to the middle of the tribulation, there's an exact number of days given. Not even just a general time, it's a very specific time frame given if it was in the middle of the tribulation period, then at some point, we may not know it today, but at some point, man would know exactly the day and the hour of the return of Christ. So it could not be then. If it was at the end of the the seven years, again, there's a very precise to the day time frame given in Revelation from the time of the end of Christ being established. And again, for seven years, man would know exactly when the return of Christ was if it was at the end of the tribulation period. For those reasons alone, I believe the Bible teaches fairly clearly that we're going to be called out, and then the tribulation is going to take place. You say, boy, the world's getting pretty bad, Brother Greg. I'm getting a little nervous. Am I going to be here for all these things in Revelation, all these horrible things that they're going to have to endure? Nope. Not going to be here. It may get worse before we go, but we're not going to have to go through the things that are told about in Revelation during the tribulation period. During the time where God pours out His wrath on men for their sin, we won't have to be here for that. We get to escape. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that allows us to come to Him to get forgiveness of our sin, to not have to pay the penalty for our sin, and to be able to escape the wrath and the judgment of the just and the holy God? I'm so thankful He's a God that loves me. I am. God has to be just as part of who He is. God has to pour out His wrath it's part of who He is. It's His character, it's His personality, it's what He is. And if He ever ceased to not be just, He would cease to be God. There has to be the payment for sin. But I'm so thankful that He's not just just. He's also merciful. He's also a loving God. And even though He has to demand the penalty for sin, I'm thankful that He made a way to pay it for us. We get the, We get the opportunity to choose. Do I want to accept the penalty, the price for the penalty that God gave me? Or do I want to reject it and go through his, his wrath? I'll tell you this, I don't want to go through His wrath. I'd far rather accept the thing that He gave to me, the forgiveness of sin, this wonderful payment for my debt that He did through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that will help some of you. I had a few folks even in our church say, well, you know, all this stuff happening, how much of this are we going to go through? There may get some rough times and rough waters ahead. I'm not saying there wouldn't be. But we will not be going through what's in the book of Revelation when it talks about the tribulation period. And we're going to be gone. I'm thankful for that. Amen? All right. Let's uh, stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for what it shows us and teaches us. We're thankful that You've given it to us. Lord, help us to rest in this fact and to be relieved of it in our own hearts that there would not be anxiety or worry. But Lord, we do ask that you would help us to understand the urgency of the day because these things are true. It is vitally important. There is a sense of urgency. There is certainly a need for us to be uh, telling everyone we can to share the gospel with them to make sure that they know this wonderful thing that you've done for them. you paid the price for their sin. And if they'll put their faith in you, if they'll trust you for that, they'll depend upon you for their salvation then, Father, You've promised that You would forgive them of their sin and allow that payment to be a covering for them. So, Father, I pray that You would help us to be diligent doing these things in the days that we believe to be the very last of the last days. And may we look up, may we keep our eyes upon You. May we live every day with eternity in view. we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, actually, uh, I mean, I'll talk to you a little bit about that.